Good morning. Hello and welcome. We're so glad you're joining us locally and even globally uh, as we watch around the world. Um, lots going on in our world. One of my um, really good cousins and I were talking while we're millennials, so we're texting this past week. And, you know, I was like, how's it going? And she says, it's heavy. Everything's heavy. I'm heavy, but I'm hanging in there. And, you know, I like that. So that's kind of what I've been using to say it's heavy, but we're hanging um, today actually marks the end of our growing season series as we've been focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians 5. We kind of try to root this teaching in Jesus' teaching in John 15, where he reminds us or teaches us that he's the vine and his father is the gardener, and we are the branches. Jesus commands us to remain in the vine, remain in him. And one way we do that is by obeying the commandments. When we obey the commandments, we bear fruit. Now, when we remain in Jesus and we abide in him and we obey the commandments, we live by the Spirit. And living by the Spirit produces that fruit. Um, and in Galatians 5, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we produce fruit, we live in love like Jesus Christ. In this season, we've kind of been asking two questions. You know, how are we remaining in the vine? How are we growing in the fruit of the Spirit? As we wrap up, I thought of two more questions to kind of take with us um, as we end this series. And the first one is just, is your fruit helping or hurting God's kingdom? Is your fruit helping or hurting the people around you? Because all of us are bearing fruit. Is it good fruit that helps the kingdom? Or is it bad fruit that doesn't look like our Christ? And the second one is, you know, is this fruit of the Spirit, is this growing that we've been doing together, is it just for this season or is it for your entire life? The last one is self-control. And if you look up a basic definition of self-control, it says it's the ability to control the self, the emotions, desires, and acts. And as I was thinking through people to, to kind of flesh out this story, I was reminded of Daniel. Um, every time I think of Daniel, I'm reminded of my dad because that was his name. In fact, um, my, my parents' generation, I think everyone older in my family, we use like 10 to 12 names. So if you say Daniel, you could be talking to like at least 10 people at any family reunion. But one of the things I I love about Daniel these two memorable stories. The first one is um, one about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then what's interesting here is that the story starts off with uh, Bab- Babylon coming in and, and taking over and besieging Jerusalem. And they gather all these um, um, people from David's royal line, David's family. And Nebuchadnezzar the king uh, chooses these, these well, a bunch of different people. But the four that we really get to know are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what's fascinating about that story is, you know, they erect this giant statue and everyone's supposed to worship. And they won't worship because they'll only worship God. And, and they get thrown into the furnace and, and, and God shows up in the furnace. And there's just four people and they come out and there's nothing wrong with them. And, and right then and there, the God of Israel shows himself to be in power. And what a wonderful reminder that you can be an immigrant or in their case, you can be in exile. You can be under a foreign power. You can be under an empire. You can be thrown into a fire and God is still with you, protecting you. Um, the, the other thing that's interesting, too, is that this, this whole book of Daniel, though, is a series of stories that they're really Hope is what motivates, and, and, and God is using these stories of faithfulness to give his people hope. But the interesting thing about Daniel is that whether you're looking at the prophecies at the end or the stories in the beginning, what you realize in Daniel is that humans become beasts apart from God. Humans become beasts apart from God. And what's awesome, though, is that the, the, the hope that we get in Daniel is that, well, God will confront the beast. 
God will rescue his people and the kingdom of God is coming. Now, the second probably most memorable story about Daniel is one of my favorite growing up, and it's about Daniel in the lion's den. And I think one of the interesting things is when I first thought this story and how I'm, I'm trained to think about this story is, is it's triumphant. You know, it's God protecting Daniel. But really this week what I've been leaning into is how God has used self-control to prepare Daniel for this moment. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. I'll be reading the first 23 verses, Daniel 6, 1 to 23, starting at verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We'll never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel heard that the decree had been published, he went to his home, to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to, to any god or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to you to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have 
I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you prepare us for every moment that we're in. Lord, we thank you that even though we don't know the future, you do. God, we pray for help. We thank you that by obedience to you, by reliance on you, by trust in you, we can grow in self-control, not only over our thoughts or our emotions or our actions, but that we can be prepared for anything that we face in this life with the Spirit in us, with your Son in front of us, and with you leading our way. In your holy and precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. When we begin in our passage this morning in Daniel 6, um, it's important to kind of do a little bit of recap to see what's going on here. Uh, one of the things that's marked by our introduction to Daniel is that he is, um, him and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are people who are marked by self-control. In, in fact, in the first chapter of Daniel, um, they refuse to, to eat any of the royal food and any of the royal wine. And it was to the point that one of the people who were watching over them were like, hey, we need you to eat this royal food and, and drink this royal wine because we need you healthy before we present you to the king. And Daniel said, well, actually, no, you know, if you just give us vegetables, and that's how I know it's from God, because they actually said this, like, if you only give us vegetables, we're going to be okay. We're going to even be healthier. And that's what happens. And, and the, the reason I think that's important is because you see from the very beginning that Daniel's loyalty is to his God. Daniel's loyalty is to the commandments. Daniel's loyalty is not to the kingdom that he's in. Daniel's loyalty is to the kingdom them that God was building. And so this is how we're introduced to Daniel. And you see that this self-restraint or this, this self-control marks his entire career in, in Babylon. And, and so when we get to chapter 6, the country has been split with, with over 100 and, well, I guess the empire has been split to, to 120 satraps or, or governors. And then of those 120, there were three people elected to oversee all of them. And Daniel was one of those three. And those three people only reported to their king. And their entire job was not just governing or, or, or overseeing those people, but their entire job was to make sure that the king had his coffers filled, that the king would not take a loss. And that's where Daniel is. And Daniel's so good at his job. In fact, he's exceptional. And he's so good that he's going to be the top administrator in the land. Like the king looked at the three people who are on top of the 120 and says, Daniel, I'm going to put you in charge of everything. And, and so everyone under him, the 120 and the other two, kind of conspire against Daniel. And what I love about this is when they looked at Daniel, there was no corruption, there was no negligence, there was no, there was nothing they could bring against him because Daniel was not only accountable, but he was a person of great character. And what's fascinating to me is this thing, and I missed this for years, right? What they actually say is the only way that we can make Daniel stumble is to go after the laws of his God. And I thought about that. How many people do we live with? How many people do we work with will give us that testimony about us to say that when I look at you, I see no corruption, no negligence. You are a person of high character. And matter of fact, the only way I can make you stumble is to go after your relationship with God. Exceptional Daniel hears about all of this is happening and he continues to pray and trust God. 
Self-control brings Daniel to power and influence. And it doesn't mean that any of us will be over an entire empire, but it does mean that all of us, with the people we live with, the people we work with, the people we walk this road with, will have power and will have influence. And if our lives are marked by self-control, and if self-control is defined by remaining in the Spirit, self-control is defined by remaining in Jesus Christ, self-control is defined by living the fruit of the Spirit, all of the fruit of the Spirit, then God will give you that power and influence. But this this self-control then that brought Daniel power and influence also brought him danger. And the first thing I said was haters, but then when you read the rest of the story, it's like, it's, it's more powerful than haters. It puts him in danger. And these are the, the new charges they bring against him. They realize that he's an outsider. See, he's not just an immigrant or a refugee. He's someone they conquered. And now he's going to be over them. The outsider is going to be made the chief insider. The one who had focus and dedication and diligence, who's bearing good fruit. And again, the story of Daniel consistently throughout the entire book is what? Humans become beasts apart from God. So they come up with this plan. And the plan is we're going to go to the king. We're going to stoke the king's ego. We're going to use the law of the land. And we're going to say king. Everyone for 30 days must worship no other God or human except you or be thrown into the lion's den. And they use the law of the land, which is a reminder to us that when empires make laws, it's not about God's kingdom. It's only for the empire's sake. In our country, there are laws like redlining and segregation and Jim Crow and slavery. And that's just the African-American experience. There are laws that can be made by empires that aren't good and aren't for God's kingdom. So they come up with this law and they said, remember the law of the Medes and the Persians, that when you write it out and you decreed it, that's the law of the land. But Daniel still prayed and he still trusted God. His self-control put his faith not in the empire, but in his God. And three times a day, he would go to his upstairs room and he would look towards Jerusalem and he would pray. And they catch him praying. And they catch him praying. And they catch him in the act. And what I love about this is that even though self-control brings danger to Daniel, self-control also caused Daniel to pray. Danger and fear does not keep Daniel from praying. Danger and fear does not keep Daniel from being faithful. Out of control people do not make Daniel out of control. And I think that's another mark of his own self-control. Out of control people does not make Daniel out of control. And here's the other one. Out of control kings does not make Daniel out of control or to lose sight of God and his kingdom. The king of the land is doing what's not right. The king of the land is doing a law that's not right. The king of the land is doing things that is not right in the eyes of God. But an out-of-control king does not mean that we get to live out-of-control lives. And I love that Daniel never lose sight of the kingdom of God. So self-control brings him power and influence. Self-control brings him danger, but self-control brings him to prayer. And self-control, when you go through the rest of this story, is it brings Daniel to actually trust God even more. Because the laws of men aren't enough. We need to follow the laws of God. 
The lions of this earth aren't enough to scare us if we trust God. Dark pits with lions in them aren't enough if we're willing to trust God. The will of men or people against us is not enough if we're willing to trust God. Growing in self-control is so important because like Daniel, God is going to put you in power and influence with the people in your life. Like Daniel, there's going to be people who want you to stumble. Like Daniel, though, will you let your self-control drive you to prayer, drive you to trust God? Because in an out-of-control world, we as followers of Jesus have to be committed to self-control. We have to be focused and delicate and diligent to serving God and God alone. Seek first the kingdom of God. And for some of us, that's hard because we think we need to seek first our family or seek first me and mine or seek first our own personal empires or seek first America's empire. But the story of the entire book of Daniel is that empires come and go, but it's the kingdom of God that goes forever. So that's what we should be focused and dedicated and diligent to working towards. But we also have to be focused, dedicated, and diligent to working for others. And what I love about Daniel is even when they make claims against him, he goes to prayer. Even when they sentence him to sure death in the lion's den, he remembers, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived the fire. And if it's God's will, I do not have to fear. In a world of self and empire, We need to be about God's kingdom like Daniel was about God's kingdom. Because the story of the entire book of Daniel is if we live selfishly, we're left empty and we're left to be like the beast. You know, one of my favorite people in the world still is Chance the Rapper. And I love that line when he says, don't believe in kings, believe in the kingdom. In a world of self and empire, there's so many of us who are putting our faith who are putting our our dreams of the future on the empire of this country that we live in. Don't believe in kings. Believe in God's kingdom. Are we willing to keep our eyes focused on Jesus? Are we willing to submit ourselves consistently every single day to the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to work for God's kingdom? Because if we're living selfishly, it'll lead to emptiness. If we're living for one another, it'll lead to fruit. You know, we've been talking this whole series about all these different things about how we grow. We've been talking about how, like plants, you know, they need water, they need nutrients, they need air, they need uh, healthy soil around them, they need light, they need temperature. The same way we need to be fed by God. We need to be breathed on by the Spirit. We need to be surrounded by healthy soil or a healthy community around us. We need to be shined on by Jesus the Son. And we need room and time to grow in love. If we want to grow in self-control, I think there's four things that Daniel teaches us. The first one is we must commit our lives to be lives of prayer. And I'm not talking about the prayer that you just sneak in. I'm not talking about the prayer that is the, the God you need to know this prayer. I'm not even talking about the prayer where you get to ask God for your whole wish list. 
I'm talking about the kind of prayer that is simply resting in God's presence. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that is reflecting on God's goodness because when we reflect and meditate on who God is, we become what and who in this case that we worship. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that renews your spirit. We must commit our lives to prayer no matter what's going on around us in an out of control world or even in ourselves when we feel out of control, we must commit our lives to prayer. The second thing I think Daniel teaches us is we must commit to spending time with God. Just like the prayer can't be rushed. Just like the prayer can't just be a need-to-know basis. We must plan into our everyday schedule time with God. And it might be time to meditate. It might be time to read. It might be time to, to just rest in his presence. But you have to spend time with God. Every relationship that you value, that you think is important, you pour into, we must do the same with God and have that same kind of commitment. The third thing that Daniel teaches us is that we must trust God. And I've been saying how for the last year or maybe year or two, I feel like the story of my life is God saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me now? Do you trust me now in this? Do you trust me, Daniel, when Jerusalem falls? Do you trust me, Daniel, when I take you off to this different land? Do you trust me, Daniel, to not eat their food or drink their wine? Do you trust me, Daniel, even though your friends are been sentenced to the fire? Do you trust me, Daniel, that I've given you all this responsibility? Do you trust me, Daniel, that your faithfulness to me means you're going into the lion's den? Do you trust me, Daniel, as the stone is rolled shut? Do you trust me, Daniel? Do you trust me now in this? This week I got um, a, 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 a card in the mail, and it had this poem that I never heard of. It's a French guy, so I'm going to butcher his name. Um, I think it's Pierre Teilhard Chardin, right? We're going to go with that. But what I loved about this poem is it talks about how when the world is out of control or how when we're physically out of control, we have to be reminded that God is doing something new in us. We have to be reminded to not try to force through it, but to work through it, to work through it, to work through whatever we're in, because we cannot force progress, and it takes time. And it takes time for God to bring that new thing in you. So do you trust God even in your difficulty, even in your struggles, because God is working on you? And Chardin's poem, Patient Trust, ends like this. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. All of us are being worked on by God. All of us are not finished products, but all of us can trust God and trust God in this. Self-control is not just restraint. Self-control is trusting God. Self-control is not just about what you don't do. It's about how you live to please God. Self-control is focus, is dedication. It's doing your diligence to follow God and to trust him and to trust him now, even in this. God bless you all.